Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which casual moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. Earlier this year, Hulu managed to shock the world with The Unimaginable, a very good sequel to a franchise genre film with Prey. Can they do it again with Hellraiser, one of the most unique and beloved horror films of all time? No. Well, I gave Hulu a fair shake. Uh, I will admit, if you've listened to this podcast before, I'm not a fan of Hulu. I uh, find it a junk app full of crap that no one really wants to watch, especially if you don't like TV shows, and I don't. Uh, There's not really much on Hulu, and the interface is unfathomably bad. I don't understand what's going on. It's like you're looking at a wallpaper of ads. There's no clear way to navigate it in an intuitive sense. It's really hate Hulu. It's a pile of crap. Uh, yeah, here's I don't hate Hulu, but the interface is terrible. You can't find anything. If there could be like the movie you really want to watch and you could never get to it because it's all laid out so strangely. Think, think of it this way. You're going to Hulu without something specific in mind. You're like, I want to know what they have. You know, I'm going to browse the library. And there's no clear, you know, it's like, oh, beach movies and also fall movies and movies in general. Okay, I guess I'll go to movies in general. And you'll end up looking and looking and looking, not seeing what you want to see, go to a different category, but then the movie is in that category. Why in the world was this movie not in movies in general, but it is in fall movies? It's a junk heap, a disorganized junk heap. It's like if you go to one of those local bookstores and the books are just piled up on the ground and in front of the on top of the shelf, and you're like, "How am I ever supposed to find anything <laughs> in here?" Someone uh, knows how to do it. And I don't care about these streaming platforms as original content and TV shows and stuff. So Hulu's never had much to offer. Uh, well, if you like to watch movies on your phone, like I do, what are you talking about? You should use the app. <laughs> okay, first <laughs> Levi. Your phone is wrapped in... The first words out of your mouth on this episode are just blasphemy. Yeah. Your phone is wrapped in such a thick case, you can't even see it. Hey, man, I like my uh, crusty old case. The phone underneath is pristine. (laughs) You should see it. But you are... Levi hasn't in years. You are saying you watch movies on that thing. Look, man. (laughs) Sometimes you got to do what you got to (laughs) do. So uh, Hulu was never on my uh, nice list. It was on my naughty list. And Patrick and Tyler always defended, no, I like Hulu. Hulu's pretty good. And then a movie came along, and it was a Hulu original, and it was called Prey. We did a whole episode. In fact, the three of us did an episode on it. And I said, okay, Hulu, I'm listening. That, that really got my attention. You did the, the unimaginable by making a Predator sequel straight to Hulu. Blech. That was good. Not only good, it was great. Yeah. And then right on the heels of that, we knew, we knew before Prey came out, but we knew that shortly thereafter we'd be watching a remake, reboot of Hellraiser. And so we're sitting around going, well, dang, if they did that with Prey, maybe this Hellraiser thing would be pretty good. So Patrick is on the show. Yeah, I'm here. Levi Warren is back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, when we, we watch something icky, you have to call Levi to come talk about it on the show. Well, <laughs> that's my specialty. <laughs> yeah. Icky. 
So we've been passing back and forth text messages about, oh, this thing maybe doesn't look so bad. You know, there was a teaser, and every now and then a headline would come through and be like, wow, I was ready to buy the hype. There was a lot of hype about Prey, and we joked about it sarcastically. Oh, it's going to be so good because there's hype, because surely it couldn't possibly have been good. And then it was. So I let myself get excited about this Hellraiser reboot. Now, here's the background. Um, I'm a fan of the original Hellraiser film and maybe one or two of the subsequent Hellraiser movies. Patrick, how do you feel about the Clive Barker, written and directed by Clive Barker, 19, what, 87? 87 film Hellraiser. Oh, Patrick. Um, I'm a big fan. I love Hellraiser. And I like Hellraiser too. And then it goes way down after that. But I think, especially the first movie, still holds up. And Levi, how do you feel about the uh, Clive Barker film Hellraiser? I like it. Over, overall, I like it. I think there's a, a couple things about it that, you know, it it falls, you know, to kind of the 80s genre horror film kind of stuff. Bad acting in particular, I yeah, feel that's like. in there. Some really funny overdubbed uh, dialogue. And yeah. Just hand me stuff. Yeah, but other than that, I think it's pretty good. And I think faithful to the source material. You uh, have read the, the Hellbound Heart no, novella. Yes. The Hellbound Heart. Yeah. Yeah. Which I also enjoyed. So, Hellraiser fan. I'm Hellraiser fan, yeah. And to prep for this episode, I don't know how much this will factor into it, but to prep for this episode, or maybe just for your own enjoyment, you went and watched all 10 <laughs> I did, Hellraiser yeah. movies? I think it was, yeah, it was kind of, Personal Not necessarily challenge. Impressed. It was a personal challenge. <laughs> and a short said, amount of time, too. Okay. Yeah, how many days? Um, I mean, I think actual days of watching, I don't know, maybe four. Okay. I mean, there so was, there was you were a hammering couple, a couple, of, at least yeah, a few Yeah, there was Hellraisers a couple where I, I watched like three in a day. That's a lot of Hellraiser. A whole a lot, lot of Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Um, you know, but here's the thing with that. We're we're kind of approaching this new Hellraiser, saying reboot or remake. remake. the The last Hellraiser film came out in 2018, so I don't know I don't know what the qualifications are for a reboot. But there they've are, been they've been putting out Hellraiser films pretty consistently. There are no qualifications. They rebooted the Spider Man franchise within a couple of years. Of yeah, you have to say big stuff like that to get people to tune back in because at this point we're just yeah they keep coming out. They need to like sell it to us. Reboot is any time that you just start the franchise over as if the other movies didn't happen, and a soft reboot Mm. is a uh, sequel or a legacy sequel that acts as a reboot of the franchise. Mm but involves the same story and sometimes the same actors and characters in a distanced capacity. This, right. So anyway, I remember specifically uh, being, I don't know, maybe 19 years old or something like that. I had never seen Hellraiser, and a f- few of us had gotten into a car, kind of horror renaissance. I think maybe it started when we did, had our first and not last Marathon of all the Friday the 13th films. Right. And it was so campy. <laughs> Get it? I. Wait, what? Campy? Friday oh, the 13th? Yeah, campy? Yeah. It takes it. place in camps mostly. Got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It was such a delirious. Wasn't there one in Manhattan? It was. There <laughs> was, was one space. One space. Yeah. It was such a strange, hallucinogenic time watching all those movies in a row back to back to back that I thought, oh, that was kind of fun. I'd like to recreate that fun. But in the, the process, we went digging around in other classic horror movies or famous horror movies, horror movie VHS boxes that we used to look at as kids but never watched because we were scared or not allowed. And most of what you discover is not good. It's In fact, it's the opposite of that. It's bad. But then every now and then you'd find something and be like, well, dang, that was actually a really good movie, uh, especially when you're really late to the game. And for us, I remember it was a group of us. We rented Hellraiser. It might have been on VHS. And were shocked, grossed out, and and probably, uh, at least at times, a little bit creeped out. These are as grown people, as grown people. And when it was over, everyone was like, whoa, that was, uh, I think we wouldn't have, wouldn't have used these words, but it was really original. It did not feel like other horror movies of the period or horror movies of the genre. If Hellraiser has one, a subgenre beyond, you know, like kind of supernatural or... Uh, however you would describe uh, interdimensional science fiction, whatever. Uh, it felt unique, and it has the unique capacity to freak people out or gross people out. It's hard to explain. When Abby and I were dating, uh, I would go and visit her uh, and bring stacks of horror movies because she and her sister used to say, bring something. They knew that I liked horror movies. They said, bring something scary. We want to get scared. They want to have, you know, like a stay up late and watch a horror movie. And so I would bring not just like cinephile horror movies like, oh, you have to see Alien because it's amazing. Like I would bring movies that I thought would probably be scary that scare most people. It scared me the first time I saw them. And they were immune to the powers of all these horror movies. They watched Texas Chainsaw and were bored. And they watched The Exorcist and were like, it's old. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so it was like a last-ditch effort. I think I had Hellraiser on the bottom of the stack. And I'm like, I guess we can watch this. And so we put it on one evening, and by the time Hellraiser was over, and this is a very dated horror movie. Yeah. Uh, it feels very, very 80s. Uh, yeah. But by the time it was over, Abby and her sisters were all like, I did not like that. I don't. It, they had like a almost like a visceral reaction to it. Like they, uh, I didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. I, something feels off about it. Even tonight, we tried to talk Abby into watching the Hellraiser remake. She said, "I don't. I don't. Know. Something about it ain't right. <laughs> feels. It makes me feel gross, and it was hard for her to articulate exactly what it was. Some I revisited that's to the point. Yeah, yeah. It has a unique power that these old movies don't often have. Mm-hmm. Something like you know Texas Chainsaw." Uh, has this weird, almost, it's so low quality that it feels almost documentary style filmmaking and it feels like you're seeing something you're not supposed to see. There's like this subconscious effect that, that happens when you watch Texas Chainsaw and it makes it effective. And I think it was an accident. Uh, you know, some, it seems like it. Some <laughs> apologies to the late Toby Hooper, uh, but to see the rest of his filmography, uh, aside from Poltergeist, which people speculate Steven Spielberg actually directed. Uh, it feels like maybe that was an a-, a happy accident. Lightning in a bottle with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But something about Hellraiser is like, it's just so unlike other horror movies. And it's a really interesting, unique premise. Not just a hokey, find an excuse to get people into a scenario and kill them kind of premise. I mean, even Texas Chainsaw is just your run-of-the-mill teenagers go to right. the place they shouldn't be and then they get killed. 
uh, and it's a backwood, you know, backwoods gross family that's been done before and was done after. Uh, Hellraiser is a very literary concept. It's the the idea that there's this puzzle box that unlocks or summons beings from another dimension. They might be demons, or you know, the line from the movie is angels to some, demons to others. Or they describe themselves as explorers in the farthest reaches of experience, or something like that. Yeah. So, from the from the grip, it's like, well, this movie's not like other horror movies. Revisiting the original Hellraiser, I was struck by. I think I remembered it pretty well, but it's been years since I had seen it. It starts uh, all the way in. You know, the opening scene in Hellraiser is the, this gentleman called Frank, who's obtained this box. Uh, it's just a few lines of dialogue. What's your pleasure? He wants the box. He buys it. He runs off with it. And he's like meditating with candles around. There's not any exposition. You can just kind of follow what's going on. And then the chains and the hooks and the flesh being torn apart. And then it's immediately <laughs> these spinning columns with like viscera oh, and yeah, body yeah, parts yeah. and yeah. genitals nailed to them. And these creatures that the, what we later learn are called cenobites kind of wandering around this room reassembling like a, a face the, you know uh, that's in the first five minutes of the movie yeah. it's super brutal and and then it's like and then you're landed into kind of a uh domestic situation with a husband and wife that are buying a house and the, right. the normal story starts to unfold did this guy who made this new Hellraiser movie ever see Hellraiser? It doesn't seem like it. <laughs> no, it seems like he missed a, uh, some key factors of what made that first one so good. I think I think maybe he saw Hellraiser 5 through 10, <laughs> actually. Because I don't know if you guys have seen all, all the Hellraiser films, actually, or how long it's been. But, you know, the... The first two are cool. The s- s- number three and four are like, st- I feel like still within the Hellraiser universe. Five and on, they just turn into kind of like weird, like film noir. It's like a bunch of detectives trying to solve a crime. And, you know, there happen to be like every once in a while a Cenobite comes out, which I've, I learned through kind of exploring this whole and explore yourself yourself. the farthest reaches (laughs) of experience uh and in this franchise is that a lot of the films were actually originally written as their own thing and the the studio or the product whoever you know owns the rights to Hellraiser, we're like, well, we're going to lose the rights if we don't put out a Hellraiser film so let's take this other idea and just Make it Hellraiser. It's like a Cloverfield phenomenon and where that, somebody had a screenplay yeah. and they were like, "Ah, just call it Cloverfield." And yeah. that's why a lot of them don't feel actually like Hellraiser films. It's like, oh, that was like kind of a crime thriller, and then we just threw this Hellraiser bit in. Yeah, and I kind of feel like, well, this was more Hellraiser, the, this new one, but it still kind of felt like. That I mean, it was. It well, let's solve a, a mystery. Yeah, the the thing that makes me say that the <laughs> the writers and the director seem to not have seen Hellraiser is because they they were in a unique position to reboot the franchise or remake the original or ha- however it was that they approached 
the project or conceived of the idea of the of move that's just called Hellraiser, not Hellraiser colon something something something. And I get it. You don't necessarily want to go and just replicate exactly what happens in the original. And capturing the spirit of a thing that's so specific is is hard to do. I don't know yeah. what, how I would have remade Hellraiser, but it seems to me that rewatching the original and then thinking back over Hellraiser Two Hellbound is that you know I I probably saw him up until part six or seven. The last one I saw was when that was like had to do with the internet. Uh, Hell World. Which part is that? Um. I think that might uh, that might be eight. Oh wow! I saw a lot. Actually. They were in like the dollar bin at a Hollywood video, so I bought a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. And would watch them out of boredom, and they were always bad. I thought. I mean, like I I remember what Levi was talking about when we were so impressed with Hellraiser, we immediately went and got Hellraiser two, and everyone was like, "Whoa, that was that was actually really awesome as well." And then part three is like when there's the theme song. I think. By Motorhead. Hellraiser. Yeah, Hellraiser. Like Hell and there's a Cenobite with like CDs in yeah, his head. Oh, CD yeah. Head. yeah. And oh we're like, well, gosh. that's over with. Yeah, uh, and then, you know, as, as I kept watching them, there's flashes of cool moments. and But for the most part, it becomes unsustainable. I think that the original movie, beyond its sequel, which is a quasi or semi Home Alone effect, they try to do the same exact thing to a certain extent and just right. expand the uh, lore, you know? Yeah, you actually go into hell or whatever. Yeah, and they see, know, the, the, see Leviathan. The, the rhombus that everyone worships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just like a, basically hell is a, an M.C. Escher painting. Yeah. Or drawing. You just got to walk, through, see, that walk through that cold like blue weird, maze. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the magic, if you will, it's a weird way of putting Hellraiser, but what makes the original movie special is inherently, uh, it's not replicable. Because the thing that makes it so cool is that the Cenobites, uh, which are these strange interdimensional demon-like characters, um, the most noteworthy among them, something that was nicknamed on the set and then later by fans, Pinhead, Though in the movie he doesn't have a name or a title, uh, I think in subsequent movies they start calling him things like the priest or the hell, hell, priest. hell priest. Yeah, so they don't actually ever call him Pinhead right. in the movie, but it's it's kind of a moniker that's stuck. But he's there, and then there's these other strange creatures. I think that Pinhead kind of takes center stage because he talks the most. But I read afterward that it was because the makeup effects. Uh, the the other Cenobites were scripted to talk, and apparently the fat one that they call Butterball was the lead Cenobite in the novella. Uh, mm, but I he and they gave him lines in the screenplay, but then he couldn't talk through his right. latex appliances. Yeah. Same with the uh, the chatterer. Yeah, the one. the little teeth clatter guy. Uh, so they're like, oh well, you can talk. You'll have to do the lines, and then he, you know, he's the one that talks. So he's kind of the one that is most memorable to everyone. Yeah. But the premise uh, isn't as much about um, the idea of like, ooh, it's a boogeyman that comes from a box, per se. It's actually more so about this dude who was in pursuit of some higher religious experience, got caught up in this weird uh, supernatural thing 
or interdimensional thing, however you want to describe it. And then a lot of the movie is this really simple uh, and horrifying shtick where uh, Frank, the guy who sought out the puzzle box, is resurrected uh, by the spilled blood in the attic of the home where the Cenobites took him. And he's slowly putting himself back together by uh, convincing his lover to murder <laughs> strangers in the attic so that he can feed off of them mm-hmm. and, and put his body back together. That makes up a lot of the runtime of the movie. Uh, the Cenobites appear very quickly in the beginning and then they come back at the big, you know, the grand finale. There's an exchange they have with a side character. Uh, but the exchange between Frank, his secret lover, and her husband make up the kind of con- main conflict of the movie. Right. Uh, and in the background, is like, oh, this is happening because of this other thing. So it makes for what could have been a really simple premise. It's like, oh, I don't know, this guy's in, he's injured in the attic and somebody's killing somebody. A, a very simple horror premise, but in the background of it all is this weird world that you only touch on a little bit. They don't really expand other than, you know, Pinhead says something to the effect of the box. You opened it, we came. And they're like, okay, so I guess that's how that works. Right. Uh, they don't go to the great lengths to explain. Every, you know, they, they trust the audience to put a lot of this together. And then there's some really banana stuff in there, like uh, at the very end of the movie, a bum turns into a dragon. <laughs> yeah. I, Do you well, remember I that scene, Patrick? Yeah, yeah, because I forgot kind about of that, it. That, this bum character in a lot of the movies, actually, I think he's supposed to be some kind of like, Disguised Satan figure takes, who takes the box takes the and box, kind of yeah. gives it, seeks out the other people who, okay, you know, desire it. Hellraiser, there's a scene of the bum walks into a pet shop and eats some crickets. Yeah. And the, the one of the characters is like, you get out of here. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, the house is burning down where everything has transpired across the runtime of the movie. The bum comes hobbling out of nowhere. And grabs the the box out of the fire, and there's a hard cut to a pup, a uh, dragon skeleton puppet, going yeah. and flying, and they're just like, oh, and it just ends, Damn. and you're like, huh, yeah, <laughs> that box is gone. I actually don't. Really, I'm making fun of it, but I, that's one of the things that's charming to me about the datedness of Hellraiser. There's a, several puppet creatures that are yeah, yeah. that look creepy and icky but there's also some visual effects in the original hellraiser that are still fantastic to oh, yeah. behold there's the, this rever- the reverse melt yeah yeah i know you love a good melt i love melt movies that's kind of there's not many of them <laughs> there are great melt scenes in lots you know in, in movies and stuff robocop for instance well yeah, there's a good quality melt. melt yeah solid melt in robocop um <laughs> But yeah, this one is a great like reverse when when Frank's body is initially reanimated by the spilled blood and he starts piecing back together, but it's just oozy and gooey and it's very disgusting. Nasty. And it, it actually yeah. holds up rewatching it in H D. Uh I think this might have been the first time I saw a Hellraiser in high definition. <laughs> uh yeah. I thought it was really, and whoever conceived of the the actual method by which he resuscitates or reanimates 
it was really clever. It's not the way that you, you know, like, uh, oh, the blood kind of forms the shape of a body. And these, it's really bizarre. These two stalks shoot up out of the ground and then flop down on either side. And you realize that these are like kind of crude armatures and a spine grows out of it. And all the while, like a brain is kind of congealing on the ground in front of it. And the spine leans down and connects itself to the brain. It's really elaborate. And all, and they're just pumping what I read afterward is like buckets of KY jelly on everything, and yeah. so it's, everything's slimy and viscous. Yeah. And it's a very icky movie, which I think is like the like you're saying is the cool thing about the original Hellraiser and the process. Basically, throughout the whole movie, the premise does become he's kind of like as more people are being sacrificed or killed for him, he's him? getting. For Frank. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, his uh, lover is bringing guys and they're killing them and he's getting getting their powers, getting their juices to yeah. pull himself up. He kind of drains them and they look like victims of the ring afterward. Yeah, but <laughs> he's kind of like adding layers back on to his body, right? So at first it's like all like nerves and tendons and slimy and then it's like more muscle and then you're getting... Or however it goes, yeah, you know. It culminates in him saying, like, I need skin. <laughs> yeah, he just needs skin. And then he gets, you know, skin, but it's all kind of like still loose, fit right, loose and it's, on him. There's and, seams and blood's oozing out of yeah. the seams. There's a uh, two shots in the original Hellraiser that I remembered vividly. And I, I thought it was going to be that phenomenon where you see something that scares you and then your mind and time kind of hyper you know hyperbolize what you saw and then when you see it again you're like oh that was dumb i thought that looked cooler but do you know what i'm about to say that no which one the uh when frank reanimates himself uh the, that scene of him kind of rebirthing yeah and culminates with him going him. like yeah. and then the next time you see him the, his ex-lover comes into the attic because she hears a sound or some such thing and he uh, like lunges out yeah. out there and she screams and there's a shot of him like dragging his like uh, Uzi torso across the floor and it's terrifying. Yeah. It's it just is. one shot. It only lasts for a second and it makes you recoil. The side of it is so off-putting and then you see it again later when uh, she brings him a victim and he's like, don't look at me because he wants to eat it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it shows like a wide shot of the of it on the ground. I think that it's actually a child in the makeup because oh. it has like a, it's almost like they want it to look like s- small and malformed. And something about it is like uh, almost uncanny valley. Like it just looks really, really wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then Abby came home and I was like, remember this movie? It was, she, it was just ending. And, uh, I was like, "Look at this," and she was just like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't like it." Like, <laughs> it was, it wasn't just me. So I was like, "She was like, that ain't, I don't. That's why I don't like this movie. I don't want to see any more of this movie." Uh, but I thought all that to say all this reminiscing about the original Hellraiser and Hellraiser Two, which is cut from a very similar cloth. It does the whole thing again, where someone is trying to resuscitate their dead lover or someone who's been taken by the Cenobites, and he has no skin and. You know, there's the whole like, uh, or she, she yeah, has no skin. Yeah, she in this one. And uh, she's lay- sleeping on a mattress in a white room. It's very visual. There's like, you know, everything's white, but she's getting blood all over everything. She's got no skin, wearing a white robe and crap. Yeah. Um, but Amazing. they they recreate like the same premise. In the 80s. 
they, they find a reason for that premise to be relevant, go into it one more time and expand the lore in a way that was interesting. And then after that, you know, I get it. You can't just keep doing the whole like, oh, person has no skin and they're trying to bring back, you know, someone who got taken by the Cenobites again and again and right. again. But if you're recreating the series and you're starting from scratch and you're assuming that a lot of your audience ha- probably hasn't seen Hellraiser, I'm assuming the average subscriber to Hulu that might click on this to be creeped out at Halloween time probably hasn't seen a Clive Barker movie from 1987. Probably I know there's not. lots of people like us watching it, but you know, like just your average Hulu goer that's like, oh, Kardashians are over. I'll click on this weird looking horror movie. Yeah. Um, this so might have been right up their alley, though. I don't know. It, it <laughs> seems like a good opportunity to revisit, if not like just remaking from the ground up, but to re explore that in a meaningful way because that's what made the original movie so special. And then the subsequent movies don't really do it anymore. Right. Uh, instead, they go full on early two thousands teenage horror movie, where you have a cast of hip young people who are like, "What's going on?" and they're trying to figure it out, and making the most ridiculous decisions possible that one would only make if you were trying to propel the plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. As you know, like, "Oh, okay, I looked it up on the internet, and it was this guy. Let's go to his house." Why would you ever go to his house? That doesn't make any sense. That you'd get any answers at his house, but. You know, we need the we need the next scene to be at his house, so you're going to go there. It felt we said as we were watching it, it felt like a Friday or a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, not a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it the first Hellraiser had so many things happening at the same time, right? So it's it's like the scary thing, the teenage girl, right, stuck in the house, or she's in the house sometimes. Yeah, the dad's daughter, right? She's and trying the to... ex lover's stepdaughter, right? She gets caught up in it. Right, so there's that crazy thing with Frank with this impending nightmare of a situation happening with no explanation whatsoever. They're just there, and it's the worst thing possible. It's like you just get the worst ideas, and it feels all so unsettling. And this one, you're just kind of like, I think Levi at one point said they don't. They kind of like aliens or something. Like they weren't oh, even yeah. that creepy looking. Yeah, yeah the I, That were... was one of the biggest drop balls that the Cenobite redesigns. For me personally, it sounds like for y'all too. Uh, were I would use the word dumb. Yeah, they looked dumb. Yeah. They were I not didn't hate scary. the 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 reimagining of Pinhead. That was fine because it was recognizable, and you know, like yeah, it doesn't need to look exactly the same. And they had some throwbacks with the open throats. They had the, the open throat and the chatter. Cinnabite was yeah, but most of them they were all like in. Well, they weren't even really wearing clothes. Like it was, it was kind of all like. F- just their flesh and stuff, but it was all like white. You know, in the original, there's very much this like, I mean, I think what makes it kind of creepy is this whole like BDSM hell thing. And you're yeah, like, yeah. that's like really creepy. And they're all in like black leather and robes and the stuff. chains yeah, yeah. and all the bondage. Stuff. Yeah, I actually like, think that the, the world. Yeah, the the BDSM theme is obviously very clear. The whole pain and pleasure thing. And Clive Barker apparently was hanging out in clubs like that and taking influences from visual, you know, the aesthetics of that whole underground world. But I also read, and this was interesting, that he um, drew inspiration from like uh, religious. Iconography, and uh, you know, he he wanted Pinhead to look like uh, almost like a papal, like a, he has a pope robe on. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? 
so it's this weird off-putting mixture of things that made it... I mean, I don't feel any kind of special, like, oh, it needs to look exact. You know, like sometimes fan geeks, they they feel protective of, oh, no, he has to have this black robe or it's not painted. I didn't feel like that at all. I'm open to reinterpretation. But the first reveal of the Cenobites... Um, was completely underwhelming. They show up on a playground, yeah. which was a little weird. It didn't seem like the ideal place to reveal. Uh, something about, like, in the original movie, they're, like, in an attic. You know what I mean? Something that's kind of claustrophobic and creepy and musty. And then uh, the subsequent appearances, and this movie eventually did that, but there's this whole, like, kind of um, horrifying, the wall opens, and the, this other dimension is now being imposed on you. Uh, that happens to the young lady in the hospital in the original movie. And she's yeah, pursued yeah. by like a monster inside a wall. Uh, they did that later, but the, the idea is the Cenobites are stepping out in a playground and kind of whispering to you. And they, they were clearly going for like, oh man, this is going to freak the audience out. But then when you see them, they're just like, I don't know, they look like Halloween costumes. They don't really look scary. They look kind of goofy. Yeah. They put like little pearls on the end of all the pins. <laughs> Yeah, it was all... It and they was, all have pins. They now. all have pins, Joe. Yeah, it was too, um, I don't know, like pristine looking or something too. I'm not clean in the sense that, I mean, there's like a bunch of open flesh wounds and weird stuff like that, but... But even those, they look... too precise, looked, too, yeah, like, yeah. I, too put together or something for yeah. like a group of spooky demons. You know? I didn't like, like that they changed, a lot of them were... Uh, almost had like reptilian black skin, you know. There was a lot of that. So yeah. it made them le- something about like the the originals Cenobites. They were uh, not just flesh colored, as in like oh they have you know like a white skin or something like that. But the fact that they um, it, it looked distressed, their skin looked twisted and painful, and they like always glistened with you know some kind of slime they put on them. So. It was it was obvious that they uh, they represent some kind of like perpetual torment. Oh, just uh, look so miserable. Faces are twisted up and cut. These guys look twisted and cut up, but they look like art installations. Yeah, and you know it kind of I mean? it was even like turning into kind of like zombie stuff at some point. They're just slowly pursuing them, you know, and then every now and then they'd run or something. Yeah, Yeah, the cat and mouse thing doesn't make any sense with Cenobite. It doesn't doesn't at all. And they just said like, oh yeah, they can't come through the metal. And they they, they didn't bother to explain that at all. no explanation. At one point, the metal, when they closed the metal thing on the outside of that house, there was like a couple sparks or something. I don't know if that's just because the metal was dragging or if it was supposed to be like, oh, it's imbued with some kind of... Yeah, maybe that was in the script that they forgot. Supernatural... A power that makes it yeah. so that Cenobites can't come through. Because they're just manifesting wherever they want it at this point in the movie. In a van, in a hospital with people. Yeah, and they, they, do the, they, they do the whole wherever they, they want to go. The house. They do a boogeyman thing where they're yeah. like right behind you, but then you turn around and now they're in front of you. You know that what I mean? Like that whole literal like, oh, plot now armor all around it. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm here, now I'm there. And they did have the setup of the eccentric pleasure seeker dude who's solving the box let's okay how about this let's say if they're what did you did you like if anything about hellraiser 2022 i thought that the idea of the box 
um, having multiple configurations, progressive configurations, and that with each configuration, the box demands a blood sacrifice. I thought that was an interesting premise, poorly executed in the movie. But I, as I was bored sitting through it and just thinking about what was going on, I started to think, oh, that's actually a cool idea. There were some scenes where they looked through the guy's journals and, you know, like, oh, this one represents power and this configuration represents Lazarus or resurrection. I was like, these are neat ideas on paper. Yeah, I thought so too. And especially that it would uh, conclude in a wish of some sort. And yeah, then the audience would backfire was God. That was cool. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. I was just kept watching it because we, it was confusing because at one point there, I remember you guys were like, wait, wait, which one is it on? Because it wasn't super clear that she gets to pick or whatever. Yeah, but, I didn't realize that until you said yeah, it. Like She gets to pick, but then... Man. You really got to be clearer. What do you mean she gets to pick? Remember people are listening to this? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I was assuming like, that they should yeah, watch like, the movie. This, this is what you said. Uh, so like, at one point, it was a thing, and like she gets to pick. But anyway, it's so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's late, man. Help people remember what happened. Okay, so the- if you go through all the configurations, <laughs> if you get to the last one, and I guess you're holding it, you get to pick from from five options from or something like from that. The different each configuration yeah, it has an idea to it. it. Like- Pleasure, wisdom, lament. Uh, Life, resurrection, resurrection, yeah, yeah. stuff like but you that. know what was what was not clear was in the book his journal. It seemed to imply that based on the way you solve the puzzle, the final configuration corresponds with you know the the wish that you get. As if like you know if you saw the Rubik's cube with all the green sides on top, then you get this wish. Right, you don't get to pick. Yeah, but then he's like, "Oh, Which I picked side sensation." Is the top on a Rubik's cube. Oh, come on, you know it's what like... I mean? I knew I knew that it wasn't going to work when I started saying it, but I just was going right. to move fast. <laughs> the, I thought that the missed opportunity was like the box is just going through. I mean, we don't know how this rich guy figured all this stuff out anyway. He just learned he's, it from he's somewhere. Well resourced, yeah. So I just thought the missed opportunity was the box. When the Cenobites came out, I was like, oh, it's in the lament thing or the wisdom one. It, I thought it would kill the people differently, like to say like, oh, wisdom, you know, like seven or something, because there I didn't know what the some point. Kind of point they're making. Yeah, I don't know what the point of having the different naming the configurations is. It never like gave yeah, us a reason if, to do if that. If anybody picks sensation, do they all get this mechanism installed in their chest that winds up their nerves and tortures them forever? Or is that just what this dude got? Yeah, but... In the end, didn't they say they're like, "Oh, we made a mistake. You don't really like sensation. You want power," and so they turned him into some. They turned him into a cinnabite. W- a weird, like cinnabite, but which that whole sequence was. I think that bizarre. they thought we were going to be blown away by that, but in, it was kind of like, oh, I guess, I guess yeah, I yeah. get it. Here's my thing about the. We're, we're back to hating on it. We're supposed to say something you liked oh, about shoot. it. Oh shoot! Oh well, okay. I mean, I'll I guess preface it with I I did like the idea that the puzzle box was more of a actual puzzle because in all the other films it's just like oh you look at it and you kind of rub your finger on a part and then it just solves itself which yep. isn't really even yep. solving itself you it run just, your finger clockwise yeah. on the circle and then it kind of raises up and then you just twist it and lock it back down but sometimes right. you don't even have to do that part yourself it does it on its own it comes up it twists it open you know this it's gracious like that this <laughs> kind of, the, you know the 2022 movie kind of had a similar thing where it's like 
it was once it um was on a configuration and you gave it its blood sacrifice, then it would go to the next one on its own. But for some reason, it was like to get the it has this stabbing implement that pops out when it's ready to receive a sacrifice. It's like you had to kind of solve it to that point. But here's my thing. In 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 the original, the whole point of like when the Cenobites come is because the person who opens and so, or solves the the box has a desire. And that's what they say is the the desire is what brings them. And there's a like a plot point in the second film where this innocent young girl is given the box and she solves it because she's really good at puzzles, even though you don't even really need to know anything about <laughs> puzzles to solve this thing. She <laughs> she opens it up. The Cenobites come, and but they're like, Pinhead's like, no, wait. Like, she's innocent, basically. She didn't know what she was doing. It's not hands that call us. It's desire or something. And the premise in this whole, in this remake or whatever you want to call it, is simply that these people solve the the box, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't really have a desire. It's not it even that. It's whoever blood. gets poked. Yeah, it's whoever gets poked with it. They get taken, and it has nothing to do with this. And I think that's what's so creepy about the original is that it's about going on this path and this journey of like trying to find ultimate you know, pleasure and fulfillment and all this stuff and getting to a point where everything finally leads you to this box that summons hell itself like that's the creepy thing about it not oh i got poked with a a weird puzzle and now, now I'm i gotta dead. run from freddy Krueger. right and it know? doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day i'll say one thing i did like i liked uh we said this but i like the new pinhead i thought that the delivery of pinhead <laughs> was pretty cool how you know it, it was a different presentation than the original. The original was like very, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Just the, Yeah, the new performance is a little more subdued. Yeah. What's the dude's name? Doug Bradley is the original Pinhead, mm-hmm. and he kind of would, you know, like, the box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was more this commanding. This was kind of a whispery, haunting kind of performance. Yeah, I was cool with that. It was, it was yeah, like, I actually I, did not like that. Really? Oh, what would yeah. you wanted him to yell some more? You wanted more? I wanted, because... She, he, she, uh, that's right. <laughs> the androgynous demon the andro- creature. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, the. It wasn't scary to me. It was, no, it was not it, scary. It, it was, was not just, scary. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, like original Pinhead at least was like scary. Yeah, well, I mean, it might be the phenomenon too, though. Of like, Jason's never going to be scary. We just recognize it's too recognizable. I think that, yeah, maybe these guys should have just called me, but mm-hmm. it seems like what I was kind of hoping for, I realized as we were watching the movie, definitely not a teenage, you know, Gen Z procedural where they're just solving a mystery. And like, I think you summed it up really well, Levi, that this movie overlooks the entire premise, um, or at least. It sets it up in the opening scene and then immediately skates around it for the entire rest of the movie, which is about like, you know, the 
uh, incredible agony of regret after you like you, these people have searched out this thing because they're usually bad people. They want like excess. They're hedonists or something. And then they like got way more than they bargained for, and now they're they're terrified. They're trying to get free of these things and escape these things. And but these things, you know, they understand it as a gift. This like pleasure. Oh my gosh! They, you know, he in the first movie he's like, "Don't waste, t- don't cry. It's a waste of good suffering." They like, it's not like they're um, uh, mo- deeply malicious and oh, that's torture. Like right. And they they touch on that in this movie that uh, it's a gift. The suffering is a gift, but it's decontextualized from that whole theme of you know like we just get that eccentric billionaire in the beginning and then he's got a clock at him at the end of the movie and his performance for me personally I'm sorry I know, I know he's probably listening but it was really hammy and unbelievable you know that thing would wind up this device installed in his chest would wind up that's supposed to be. Like in his words, every second is an eternity. It hurts so bad, and he would just kind of act like he had a tummy ache. Well, it was like literally had his nerves, and it was like winding up his nerves and wrapping them. Like, yeah, he gets this thing put in his chest while he's in his three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. But then we see a flashback shot of him completely naked, trying to free himself. Yeah, pants from off it. too, which is like, I mean, you know, this thing is just in your chest. Why are you Because, <laughs> man, he naked? needed full access. And then when we see him again in the present, he's back in the suit. I don't know how that worked. Yeah, I don't know either. No, and no one bothered well, and to say. it's been six years since that happened. That They made that clear. Six years later, they yeah, have this yeah. thing, which I don't, why? I mean, what was the... The point of the, the passage of time. The point of the time? passage of yeah. time. Like, I, I think it... it I don't know about the passage. I guess it was just enough to make it where it's distant enough where everybody would just think that this house is, you know, yeah, they completely empty out. Disappear from public consciousness. Yeah, they didn't okay. need it to, but they did. Right. So he's cursed, right? Because he doesn't have like guts and stuff. We see it get rebuilt yeah. when he comes back, and he keeps asking if he can just die, so he can't die. So yeah, he's see, cursed to just be tortured. While you're describing it, that sounds like a. a um, scary or disturbing premise but it wasn't in the movie no it wasn't it was kind of goofy the i that's why i I think that what i was thinking probably on the heels of prey was that like wow these people clearly loved the original predator movie they understood what made it special and they had the balls to just say like we don't need there to be some kind of insane new premise with 10 predators and you know like trying to steal genes from the spines of super predators and fighting in the suburban right. town on Halloween. It's just go back to the idea of there being, you know, a, a vulnerable human being that has to find a way to survive in a wilderness setting and uh, and made it really special again. I thought that that was something like that was going to happen with this movie. I thought that maybe they'd dispense with all the trappings of the million Hellraiser sequels and how goofy it got and how weird the lore got and go back to this, like, there's a box, someone motivated selfishly or hedonistically seeking out the thrills of the box and then gets himself into some kind of horrifying predicament and that I thought that maybe they would, like, you know tease out the Cenobites, hide them in the shadows, make them scary again, and then by the time it would escalate into some kind of really uh, grotesque carnage by the end of the movie, 
Which is another weird thing about this movie. It does, this sounds like a weird thing to gripe about, but it does have icky violence in it. But a lot of it's CG and, and therefore looks terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the budget was showing on that CG gore, like when his chest reforms or when yeah. that poor guy was getting flayed by the garrels, the cords around him. Uh, but for a Hellraiser movie, it's not necessarily the um, amount of gore that makes it so disturbing. It's the particular use of and of gore and how the camera f- zeroes in on certain things. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's how the violence is being done. It's like yeah, the chains are like thrown around a lot in this movie, but you're like, it, it's, it's not special anymore. And they yeah, do it. The chain know. thing is like, that's fine. You know, that's how it always looked. They shoot out, they hook, you see that like hook the flesh and tear and pull the flesh. But that was something that was unique about the original Hellraiser is you, you wouldn't just see like, Oh, it hooks in. They would always do these like horrible, extreme close-ups of what's obvious, like, you know, latex (laughs) being torn and uh, to make you go, or seeing somebody with no skin walk around and touch somebody's face, you know, and leave bloody fingerprints. It's just really icky and Mm off-putting. This movie seemed to think it was like, oh, you know, like, just have somebody get stabbed or have it, it, to me, didn't understand what makes the violence in a Hellraiser movie feel visceral and disturbing. It just felt right. like violence from any disposable horror movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The first, I mean, the first two just disappeared. It was completely off screen, right? And then the guy and the, the victims, the, yeah. the victims, the oh, bathroom yeah. and then the hospital. And then by the time we got to the girl in the van, she, she kind of exploded off screen too. <laughs> I mean, she exploded, I guess, but yeah, well, we see her blood oh, shoot across yeah. the van and then she's gone and she's gone. Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, that's kind of disappointing in these kind of movies because you you're expecting, like we're saying, to see something at least an escalation. Happen. Yeah, like a, the the original movie and one of the best parts of the movie, if not the best part, is when the Cenobites finally reclaim their victim. Uh, it's really disturbing because the, there's the sequence of the hooks going and they stretch his face and flesh all apart while this young woman is watching the whole thing happen, and he seems as if he's kind of conflicted by it. Like part of him likes it. Mm-hmm. Part of him is in great pain. And then he turns to the camera with his face all you know, mutilated and says, Jesus wept, which is strange and uh, inexplicable. Yeah. And yeah, then they, and then he explodes. Yeah. He explodes. <laughs> he's he's ab- just like, Jesus wept <laughs> as he's licking his nasty lips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he blows up. But that's what I mean. This is like all these pieces that you're like, oh, what the like, and it escalates, and it's so brutal and visceral. This movie, um, a lot of the violence was off screen, or it was the kind of like stabbing where someone leans over a knife and then their shirt is bloody. A lot of stabbing, yeah, yeah, it, and also like the like Levi was saying that in the in the original, the box calls them or the the desire. They mess with the yeah. box. They can hear the desire and they call. And that's what's scary about it. You accidentally call these things to come get you and that's what's scary. And this one, it seems like the Cenobites almost were unnecessary because the scary thing was the box, right? That was the bad guy. If you got poked by the box, you're in trouble. But if you just didn't mess with the box, it doesn't matter what you do with it because she kept solving it and it poke out. And you could just she just dodged the little she poker. dodged it and then she's fine until like something gets poked. So <laughs> she dodged the poker and then just turns around and pokes somebody else with it and they're like, oh, okay, well, take him. Then. Yeah, I mean they could and then they just kind of disappear off screen for the most part. Yeah. But I just 
they didn't seem like they were super necessary and it was like the the plot didn't make a lot of sense to me like the like the guy the boyfriend was Trevor was in on it the whole time right yeah and then she says when they get the box he has it in his hand or she does and she says I'm going to hold on to it and he says sure well, why what you mean in the beginning when he set her up yeah yeah because he wanted her to solve the box that was his agreement the the rich guy paid him to get the box into somebody's hands so that they would solve it, make blood sacrifices, and I don't know, he had like a Joker-level plan. He, he needed her to solve all the configurations, make blood sacrifices, and then somehow end up back in the building. That's what I'm saying. It seems like the, the thing would be like, take the box, say, I've got a buyer, and then go take it to the guy, and then start taking victims to the house. All of the original Hellraiser. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess I didn't get that. I when I when the twist, whatever you want to call it, happened, and you're like, oh, he was in on it the whole time. It seemed to me that he was supposed to just get the box and bring it back. I guess I missed somehow that. Sorry, there's like a bug flying right in my face right now too. <laughs> no, uh, he said that was Trevor's no, plan. I, yeah, Trevor said I, I I used her. She was a mark. I gave it to her. She's going to solve. Right, but that wasn't the rich dude's plan, necessarily, was it? No, because he was like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, so here's my thing. First of all, the rich dude owned that warehouse where it was stored in the shipping container, in the safe, in the box. Right, so it's like box within box within box within box. Why did he, first of all, wait six years to just access the box that he owned in a warehouse that was, I guess, just waiting. Why did he hire someone in to break in and steal it when he owned it all to was, begin with? What was Trevor going to do? Go up to his girlfriend and be like, check out this box. I guess that would have made a lot more sense. Right. I think that maybe oh. even, didn't they say that Trevor was saying that they deli- made all those deliveries and stuff? And then it seemed like it was more of a recent understanding that that thing was in there. Maybe it was it yeah, finally landed somehow through his job. Get, he connected, but with that, that was to get the girl to go with him. Yeah, but maybe it was right? true. Yeah, maybe. you guys are Prometheusing it. You're trying to fill in the holes that the movie doesn't fill in itself. Well, I mean, I, which is yeah. hilarious because the movie is almost entirely exposition. It's just young people going like, "Oh, so we got to do this and look at this, and oh, I've got to figure out where this is and." I mean, the greatest sin of the movie, honestly, is not that, oh, it doesn't have the right gore, it wasn't scary the right way, and we don't like Pinhead's subtle performance. It's that it was boring. Yes. Yeah, I honestly was almost falling asleep in there. It I was, was like, super boring. this is, yeah. Which is weird because, uh, you know, I at this point in my life as a film goer, I'm perfectly ready and willing to not be sacred and persnickety about classic movies. If this new Hellraiser movie would have been better than the original, I would have been thrilled by that. You know, like a, a be- an even better Hellraiser movie? Heck yeah, I'd be all yeah. for that. Uh, it was freaking boring. Yeah. And that's saying something that I just rewatched the movie from 1987, and it is not boring. It's really entertaining, yeah. and it's fast. It gets in and it gets out. This thing was too long. It wastes yeah. so much time with nothing happening. Yeah, there's and at all one this point, character development that's irrelevant to the movie. Yeah, at one point I, I said so, do something, but then I then I thought and I was like, well, we've seen the Cenobites many times. <laughs> things are happening. It's just not interesting. Yeah. Things that are happening. <laughs> yeah. They're just men. They just walk around. 
They just out yeah. there walking around. I like how so sometimes they, you know, some uh, the lady in the nursing home or the hospital, the care facility, she gets poked, and so the the Cenobites come out. But it's almost like their GPS was off or something because they just are walking past her and wandering around in the hallways. Or maybe they're just like, oh, cool. Never been in a hospital And before. sometimes yeah. Pinhead shows up and can just flick the wrist and the chains come out and do everything. And sometimes the other ones have to, like, chase them around a house. Yeah, the chains apparently, it's like uh, Spider-Man logic. You know, he can swing on anything. The pinhead can make the chains come out anywhere with just a little flick of the fingers. They come from nowhere and they return to nowhere. But I don't feel like using them all the time. Right. I'd rather send my chatterbox, (laughs) bitey, bitey McBiterson, Mm -hmm. to try to bite this guy through a gate. That didn't make any sense. (laughs) Which, by the way, it really bugged me that he... They're perfectly safe behind this gate, and he decides to stick his arm through the gate right into the face of this thing with gnarly, <laughs> weird teeth, mm-hmm. and he gets bit. And it's like, wow, well, why did you do that? Why did you put your arm through there? <laughs> A lot of people made some really stupid decisions yeah. in this movie. That they only happened because, you know, like, oh, well, we need him to get to the next place and do the next thing. Yeah, And they even figured out, oh, we can, we can poke the, or the bad guys the box. We can put the box into the Cenobites, and that counts, right? Yeah. Which, and I was like, oh, dang, that's a great... Game over. Just that, go yeah. poke those. And they even... They needed to poke one more person, and then they had a Cenobite run right at her, and she turns around and runs away. Yeah. <laughs> no, and dropped it and dropped <laughs> yeah, it in the box. Dro- it was just like... Oh, Which, here's oh another gosh. whole thing with that is... So, they're interested in taking souls, right? At least in the original. But the Cenobites are, are, I mean, if you follow the original continuity of the films, Cenobites were actually people that have been... Apparently in this one, too. I guess that's true. But Mm -hmm. aren't Aren't their souls like already? No, this like, has consumed? I the guess soul they, was no consequence of this one. It seems like it seems like it was, it was like blood, sacrifice, blood sacrifice, and the Cenobites enjoy the destruction of them for some reason. But they didn't even really explain yeah, that. No, they said that you know, oh, his ending was exquisite, implying that he was dead. Mm-hmm. And then she said to the Cenobites, like, oh, I know it's a trick. He's gone. So I don't know. Whatever. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of the, the summation statement on this. Well, yes. Whatever. Yes. I um, when I was watching all of the movies, there was a uh, number nine in the franchise was was particularly bad, and I found this uh, quote from Clive Barker. But I think it fits this new one too. I feel like he said, "I want to put on record." that the flick out there using the word Hellraiser is no effing child of mine. I have nothing to do with the effing thing. If they claim it's from the mind of Clive Barker, it's a lie. It's not even from my butthole. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what did you think of Hellraiser, both the original and the 2022 Remake. Do you think we're being too hard on it? Are we being fanboy loyalists? Or was this thing really a mess? Let us know what you think by leaving a comment on this episode at youhatemovies.com where you can check out, geez, at this point, more than 200 episodes. 
you want to help us keep the lights on at You Hate Movies Studio, you can follow us on social media at You Hate Movies. Go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a glowing five-star review. And you can also go to patreon.com slash you hate movies where for the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can get two bonus episodes every single month. 